sometimes positive history can be as negative history in the sense that this is the way it needs to be. This is the right answer. And this right answer is the only answer. So I have to fit this moment back into previous moments. And so even my glorious history becomes the resistance to my current moment because it doesn't look like that. Or I'm not the same me as I was back then when I bought it when I was 13. And so, you know, kind of a new rearticulation. And part of this step work is defining some terms. Hello, my friends. My name is Chad. This is the Naked Leadership Podcast, high-stakes conversations for relentless company founders. My co-host and I have over six decades of combined experience in leadership coaching, and this podcast is where we explore it all. There's no conversation too risky. This week, we bring a couple of really meaningful conversations to the table for the three of us. In fact, Adrian and I pretty much bring identical conversations to the table, which was really fun. First, Dan talks about sacred experience experiences and how do we relate to sacred experiences to invite other people when i say sacred experiences i don't mean religious experiences i mean meaningful experiences things that happen to us in life that may be traumatic may be exciting how do we use those not use them how do we relay those in a way that we can inspire people to do something meaningful in life. And then Adrian and I bring almost identical conversations to the table where we talk about faith. And once again, faith not in a religious context, but faith that we're willing to commit to something and have so much courage in it that it will turn out. You'll hear at the end of this conversation, I have quite a aha moment for myself and the work that we do and how it relates to faith. I can't wait for you to listen to this. Let's dive in. All right, gentlemen, we're back. Dan, Adrian, it's good to be with you. Yeah, good to be here. So, Dan, why don't you kick us off? What's on your mind? Well, um, I was thinking about uh, a client that I, I get to work with. I've been working with. Um, she is a, an entrepreneur, uh, really quite a remarkable entrepreneur. Um, she has a, a coffee company in San Francisco and does extremely well with this coffee truck. And she's an entrepreneur. I mean, she's a real connoisseur of coffee. It isn't like she thought, well... I think I'll start this coffee company, but she, like, like, oh, it's just a whim one night. But she, she ruminated on it through, the, as her, her, she's always been attracted to the coffee culture, everything around coffee culture, and and what really interests me in it is just her complete, how she completely gives herself to what she's up to, and her son was diagnosed with cancer and ends up, you know, she of course she just caught up in that and through the process you know some of the ways I think as she said she, the way she put it as she would sit with him for hours as he neared the end she would let her mind think about you know what she loves which is be you know coffee and she loved coffee so much that you know she'd go to a shop and question the the guy you're roasting the coffee and drive him crazy and or the gal and get you know finally she'd got herself, she bought a used roaster and started experimenting with roasting. You know, it's like that. But it was while her son Kevin was dying that she just started to really take root for her. And we've been working with her about her business because she's got kind of a movement going on. People really, she's just, when you get to meet this woman, her presence is profound. That's the part that moved me. And that she loves coffee is just something I want to love because I, I love coffee anyway. But the way she is makes me want to understand it. And and 
I we were we've been talking to her about this story of Kevin and how it's a major part of this endeavor for her, and how that could really, you know, it brings a lot of meaning for her. How could it bring meaning for others? And she didn't want to exploit that story. And you know, I just lost, we just lost Dion uh, a year, a little over a year ago, and so we really connected over this. And I can completely understand. You don't want to go leverage the death of a loved one to move anything, right? That's not what you're up to. And and God bless her. She's she's just really diligent and thoughtful about what she's doing. And so she'll she'll tend to take her time until she really is inspired and she sees how it fits into what she's up to. I just admire it. I admire her diligence and thoughtfulness and her care. And Adrian and myself and um, you have been involved in just that conversation we had the other day was so profound to me about what she, like what Kevin brought, called out of her. Like what did Kevin call out of her? And I'll never forget her saying, Kevin called out of me. He said to me, mom, you changed the world because of your example, not your opinion. And and I said, that, that is the message. You know, the, the allowing yourself to capture the beauty and the power of another person's impact on your life, their presence in your life, even when they're gone, when their body's gone, their presence is with you and those lessons are with you. And when she saw that that was a way, like, like what we're talking about wasn't about leveraging that story, but what was it that that Kevin inspired in her and continues to inspire in her around what she's doing and how she creates community around coffee and how unique she is in that industry. Like she is a differentiator. She, the way she is, it's literally a movement around her. And you know that, Chad. And I, I was just thinking that's, I mean, I aspire to that. I mean, she's like a, she's kind of a hero. She kind of took a heroine view in my view. Like, like she's a, like, yes, that's, that's who, that's what I'm committed to being that way. And just profoundly, and it makes me want to go do things like, I spent some time today on the phone with some guys to help her, you know, to support her in continuing to elevate her brand or her experience, her movement. And um, it was worth it. I mean, it was worth I spent an hour on the phone putting some things together and then putting some, you know, documents together and getting to her. And that's a big deal, I, you know, for me is to be inspired that way. And I'll tell you, what I realized was, you know, She's taken a stand and she's really, you know, without even thinking about it, mastered the science, the art and science of persuasion because she's able to connect with people where they're at. And she's like an invitation to get to know them. And, and she's thoughtful about it. And people respond to her. I mean, everybody, you guys know her. I mean, when she gets online, when she gets in front of people, people get mesmerized. So if you don't drink coffee, no problem. Or if you don't really think about it and you drink it, if you sat with this woman, you'd want to drink her coffee because of who she is, because you know the love that went into making that coffee, to roasting it, to finding the beans, roasting it, making like like making sure it captures what she is aiming at. You'll want to, you know, you'd want to, and then you'd want to talk with her about life you know, around the coffee, right? 
And uh, I just thought about, I mean, I've, I have a friend who's really into shoes and another friend who's into bikes, same way. I want, all of a sudden, bikes are interesting and shoes are interesting because who's involved and the way they're involved. Yeah, her story is so unique. Um, and obviously, Dan, you connect to it on such a deep level, having gone through what you guys are going through and have gone through with Eon. Um, and I wonder how many people see, how many other founders and leaders see the opportunity for whatever it is that they're offering the world, whether it's a product or a service, do they see that as like a table to come to and be present in, right? Like to present something in the world around this thing. It's like with Buffy and Lady Falcon Coffee, by the way, is the name of the coffee. You should definitely go check out her brand and and her coffee and what she's up to. But it's not about the coffee. She even said in our conversation the other day, she said, you know, I'm, I, I'll drink coffee. Yeah, I enjoy it, whatever. But I loved everything that surrounded coffee. I loved what it did for people. Yeah, she talked about it as coffee, a cafe culture or coffee culture. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, you know, we we work with other teams who are sending rockets into into space and who are developing software for property managers. I mean, there's there's a wide variety of the product or the service that our clients um offer and the ones that seem to be most fulfilled in the work that they're doing is it's not about the thing. Oh, if you think about, yeah, you know, like Lead Simple, it's a great organization and, and impulse space. I mean, they're committed to a certain presence they want around them while they're creating. That They get that creation comes out of a particular kind of relationship that's connected and challenging and open and committed and focused you know, and like there's no nonsense, but they also care about hearing everything that's going on. They realize there's more influencing them than just the work they're doing. And and they want it to be that way. Otherwise, it's you become a tool, right? You know? Yeah, I would agree with you. Those, both, both those companies, I would agree with exactly. But I, I was just talking with a with No, it's good. I was just talking with a client yesterday, and he was... You know, he was talking about this work that he's got to get done in the next seven days, and he's a little bit overwhelmed about it, and a little bit, you know, in despair about it, and this and that. And, you know, I, I just asked him, like, "Do you want to get some help?" And he hadn't brought that up. And the punchline of this story is, you know, yes, he could use, you know, he's got this big presentation with a huge, huge, very influential person in his market, and he just had told me two minutes before that he's not going to be ready for it because of all these other things going on, which I think is like a really bad end of the story because you're already pre-planning failing. And I just, you know, asked if he wanted some help and he said, yeah. And, you know, we talked a little bit about how to potentially get some help, but I said to him something that aligns with what you guys are saying is that if there's some junior, some 21 year old kid in your organization like there's a way to be with that 21 year old that he'll do all the grunt work because he gets to be near you and gets to be gets to do this really cool thing to prep this presentation for this huge person but we tend to under uh, appreciate the power and the impact of our presence and how we are in something you know we'd say it like how you're in the conversation how you're in the work 
that whatever we're doing, you know, it's like if someone's really passionate about something, I could learn about anything because I want to be next to that person. I've, I always say like, I love fanatics. I love people that are crazy into something and I can, you know, I'm curious naturally, but I can really be into it. Even you could pick, I, I don't think you could pick anything. I can't think of something that I wouldn't be interested in learning about with someone that's like super committed and very passionate about something. I might get lost in the weeds, but wow, it's fun. I mean, it's, it's like that being around your boy, Dan, you know, it's like, I, I, I don't, I don't operate on his level at any, and I get lost pretty quick in any like engineering scientific conversation, but man, it's fun listening to it, listening I, I to him tell you, explore it. He, I've been funny. You said that because while you were talking, I was thinking of him and he, you know, we've been looking at this AI thing and he and Carl have just been reading all kinds of deep research papers. And last night he called in one of those, like I've spoken about these rare moments where he calls up and he is, completely inspired he sees something nobody in the market sees and carl confirmed it and he explained it to me and i'll see if i can do it here but it was really interesting because it's such a change of the game he turned it upside down he said they're training ai to be agents by using video so and what the video does is the ai analyzes it frame by frame to understand all the particulars in how to execute something online. So if you're trying to teach the AI to open an account, they just video how they do it, then it studies all the particulars. And he goes, Dad, they're never going to get there. And I know it, and so does Carl. And we figured something else out. And I go, what's that? And he goes, I'm, and I'm a little nervous to say it here because no engineer <laughs> picks it up. But he said, they're not even close to seeing what the, ant the, the key is. I go, what's that? He goes, you give the AI what you want it to get done, and, and then you just expose it to the data and let it figure it out. And it will come up with everything you want, and it won't be as limited. It won't take as much power to generate the answers. And it won't, and it'll actually do what they can't get done now. He's running experiments on this. So if you think about it, that's exactly what they what 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 is done with chess, right? They took chess, and rather than teach the games, like all the historical games to the AI, they just gave it the board, the parameters, and all the data, and then said, here's the object of the game. And the game came, and the AI came up with moves that never been seen before, and nobody can beat it. And he's taken the same approach with handling this whole thing around agents. How do you create an agent online? Anyway, he was, I thought at the top of his head came off, but I get more... If I'm like you, Adrian, I've been learning this stuff just because I like to watch him, you know, because he's my son, and I see him so excited about something. It's captured him, and now Carl's all excited, so we're going to meet this tonight, uh, tomorrow again to talk about that's where we're headed. And, you know, I go, what do you think that's going to take? He goes, probably $100 million, but we can create the scientific papers where they're going to want to do it, and we're going to be a scientific development company, an AI development company. So... He's got himself going in that direction. But to your point, it's just fun watching him go. It's, it's like me watching you, Adrian. When I watch you coach, I feel the same way. I'm not kidding yet. Yeah. I think we all have that we all have that experience of each other. I think about this dynamic in parenting a ton. Because there's one thing, I mean, so the distinction I was writing down as you're talking, it's like mimicry versus creativity or something like that. Like I think even in leadership, we're just prone to like 
Just show them what to do. And people are desperate. Just tell me what to do. But it's just such a low-level way of thinking because it obviously involves no trust, involves no faith, and involves no creativity. It might be, quote-unquote, efficient, but over what time frame? You know, like, yes, it'll save you time in the very, very short term, but we haven't trained, we haven't trained a person to believe in themselves and to be creative and improve anything, you know, because there's no invention in that. There's no, but you got to face the void. You know, when Danny's doing it with bots, it's like you give them all this stuff and then just stand back. And there's that moment, might be minutes where it's like, this might not work out. This might be a waste of time. They, it might screw up. It might, and I'm thinking about that with my kids all the time. It's like, you know, I could, I could teach them exactly what to do, or I could, you know, give them some kind of outcome and like, let, let their little brains work on it and create enough, create enough space in which they express themselves and the failure and success and the failure and success and how we think and how we relate to the failure and the success, all that's juicy and that's all like esteem building and iterative building but what you've done is you've it's like uh, the karate kid methodology where he taught him the basic ways of thinking about what it means to have self-defense and then of course he has to employ them and has to answer the problem i think the same way when i train a trainer i mean i know you guys are trained all you need to do now you have all the data now just to plant you in the room and let it go because i know you're going to find your unique way and it'll be beautiful. It'll work its way out. You know, when you get somebody to that place where they've learned the fundamentals and now they just need to go experiment. One of the things that I think about, I, I use this example in my coaching calls often, is I think that the, the saying, give a man a fish, teach a man a fish, that whole thing, I think it's flawed. I actually think it's, if you give a man a fish, feed him for a day. If you teach a man to think like a fisherman, you feed him for a lifetime which is it's distinct from teaching him how to fish, right? Because are you on a river? Are you in a lake? Are you fly fishing? Are you rod fishing? Are you ocean fishing? Are you on a boat? And, and, and all of that, if you learn to think like a fisherman, you'll get resourceful. It's so interesting. I have a friend who's a guide. He's one of the best in the world. Um, he does, in, in, his name is Paul. His name is Paul. It's the thing he said. He goes, I don't think, I'm not going to show you how to fish because we go fishing and nobody catches anything and he'll throw the oddest thing in the water and pull out a big fish, right? And he, like, he'll, like I remember we were sitting on the side of the stream and he pulls out these streamers and this guy goes to him, they're never going to bite those. He goes, really, watch this. And the way he played it through the, the in the first cast, he caught a huge fish. And, and I go, how'd you do that? He goes, you got to think like a fish. And he showed me what he was thinking. I just saw him the other day in the, I hadn't seen him in tw 10 years. And uh, Paul Duclos is his name. He's just a sweetheart. And he gave me this really nice reel and this lead sinking line and showed me how to use it. And I've caught a lot of fish on it. And the other day he showed me this thing called a center rod or something, center, center point rod. He goes, you got to learn how to use this rod. It's even better. You can lay the, you can lay the bait out there beautifully, you know, the fly. And, and I talked to him for an hour in the health club. And I, again, he was, the way he was thinking about it is all I wanted to hear. I didn't have to see what he did. I just need to, now I want to go look at one of these center rods and give it a shot. He goes, it's really hard to learn, learn but if you think this way, you'll get it, Dan. That's I love great. It. Yeah. That's great. So great. Adrian, what's on your mind? Oh, so many things are on my mind. I'm, I'm naturally just thinking about when are we going to go to Boise next? You know, fishing once again. 
Yeah, you were you you were a natural man. You took to that thing like nobody I ever saw. Life is not fair. It's what you negotiate. Let me say that one more time. Life is not fair. It's what you negotiate. Now that's an interesting thought. If that's true, it means that everything you have in life right now, the possessions, the relationships, the fitness, the mindset, are all a product of your negotiations with others and yourself. And if that's true, wouldn't you want to be very clear on how you negotiate? What's effective and what's ineffective? What your strengths are and what your blind spots are? It is, after all, producing all the results in your life. So here's the deal. We put together a 15-question quiz that you can take in five minutes or less and find out exactly what your negotiation style is. The results of this quiz will give you insight into your strengths and blind spots in negotiation. It will also give you insight in how you can accentuate those strengths or compensate for the blind spots. Think for just one second with me all of the conversations you're having in your life. Think about compensation or advancement conversations with people on your team, discussing financial decisions with a partner, or just getting your kids to get their damn shoes on so that you can leave the house. All of these conversations are negotiations. This simple yet powerful tool has the potential to reinvent the way you get what you want in every aspect of life. Go to negotiation.takenewground.com right now or click the link in the description of this episode and find out what negotiation style you embody. You can thank us later. Now back to the show. So much fun. There's moments and times that like the old country boy comes out. You know, I spent a lot of time on a on a bank of a of a pond growing up. And it was just, it was, uh, you know, I was really close to my grandfather and he was a big fisherman. Both of actually, both grandfathers are big fishermen in different ways. And I just wanted to be like them. So I was always just watching what they're doing and any opportunity I could get to be with them. Um, and it meant fishing a lot, which was great. Um, yeah, you know, just on my mind, even just from today, I was sitting with a, uh, a guy um, who's in AA and he's a sponsee of mine. And, um, you know, the 12 steps are very, uh, universal. They're really just how do, how do you, you know, becoming a human being, like actually getting to reality, um, versus the way we naturally do things and cope with life and all the, you know, therapeutic language for it. The 12 steps are very fascinating in the sense that, you know, it's very thorough, um, but it throws you into a conversation that especially folks that have been hyper, uh, controlling their own lives and controlling their own state and controlling their own mood with some kind of outside behavior or substance, it starts in a conversation that's very uncomfortable because it gets it, uh, first off, you know, I've got a problem. That's step one. Second two is like, if I, if, if anybody could help me, I'd like some help, which takes some humility. And then step three is this conversation about God, which throws tons of people off. Um, for lots of great reasons, because usually people associate a God conversation with a religious conversation. And, you know, so there's lots of baggage there for most people in some regard. There's a lot of history there, even if it's like positive history. Sometimes positive history can be as negative as negative history in the sense that this is the way it needs to be. This is the right answer. And this right answer is the only answer. So I have to fit this moment back into 
previous moments. And so even my glorious history becomes that, you know, resistance to my current moment because it doesn't look like that. Or I'm not the same me as I was back then when I bought it when I was 13. And so, you know, kind of a new rearticulation. And part of this step work is um, defining some terms. And so my question for this guy uh, this morning or the homework had been for him to define the word faith. And I think about this a lot. And even with my, you know, very business-minded, secular crowd, whatever, I use the word faith a lot, which I don't mean it religiously. Um, I mean, like, the mechanism of faith and what is faith. And we're talking about it for a while. He gave, like, a pretty, you know, contemporary, you know, probably universally held, for the most part, uh, definition of what faith is, which for him it was like some kind of, you know, belief that the future is going to work out or that there's some kind of, sovereign benevolent force or you know that he started off just saying it's like even if i was blind i would know what did he say if i was blind i would believe that the sun's going to come up tomorrow because the sun came up yesterday i felt the warmth in my skin and blah 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 all this stuff and i and i you know actually he's a guy that's gone in and out in and out in and out like trying to stop stop for a little bit and went back out and did a back and forth relapsing and i said well i my view of this faith notion has shifted over time. And, you know, even, you know, I come from a, I was in, indoctrinated or socialized as an evangelical in the middle of nowhere in Illinois um, and grateful for it. Um, it was a good starting point with conversations about ethics and community and service and all those types of things. Um, but, you know, my my view has really shifted over time because a lot of people, when they are in a conversation about faith, it's really about what do I believe? And then what or what should I believe and what's right about what I believe and what's wrong about what other people believe? People naturally go to dogma, especially when there's mystery involved, because I can't hold on to a mystery. So I better be really sure that my mystery is correct because um, it, it brings it out of the mystery zone and brings it into like truth, quote unquote. Um, so anyway, but I've been thinking about this a lot and for myself and my own faith life over the last several years. And, and even just in my own, it's from a pragmatic perspective, like what is faith for me? For me, faith is really pragmatic in the sense that I've always dug like, you know, people on this, listening to this podcast, probably like Jordan Peterson, um, cause they'll ask him, you know, do you believe in God? And he'll usually just like, shirk at that question just saying you have no idea the complexity of that question so that's what i dig about his view is i do i believe in god i'm not even going to answer that but i act as if there is one and in this so anyway i've just been thinking about and i talked today with this guy that faith is the compelling notion that gets me into action to, to generate a future that's worth having. He, 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 he connected it even just naturally between, and you've done this distinction a ton, Dan, because he was talking about, this, I think about faith the same way I think about love. Like I can just love somebody. And Dan, you were one of the first people in my life that made that distinction. Well, how do you know if you actually love someone? Well, you look. And, you know, I could say, I remember the first time I heard you say this, Dan, 15 years ago. It's like, I could say I love my wife, but if she doesn't get my love, who's telling the truth? 
So there's something similarly about faith. I can say I believe in anything. I can believe in myself. I can believe in the vision of the company. I can believe in people. But I ought to watch my life and see what story the impact tells me. I wrote something down when you wrote faith. And it's um, along those lines, which is that which I have faith in is where I'm willing to risk who and what I am for who I can become together with others. Like I'm willing to risk who I and what I who I am, what I have, for what I can become or who I can become with others. Like I'm that's what faith is because I'm going to get at stake. I'm going to take a risk, and I don't know the outcome, but the risk is worth just the risk is worth that. And I, to me, that's where you you know you're depending on something beyond you. Yeah, I want to. Uh, I'll I'll dovetail. I'll I'll piggyback mine on on yours for this conversation because it's right. It's exactly along these lines. And I sent you guys this quote, this this post by Jordan Peterson last night. So good. I was in tears. Well, here's here's this. Here's a mental picture for you. I'm sitting on the toilet, reading, look, thumbing through YouTube. This pops up, and I'm crying. <laughs> have tears this, on the toilet this post, that's, that's, a, that's a great yeah, yeah yeah so jordan peterson posted this picture with a with a quote i actually don't know the source of the quote if it's him or if it's kierkegaard or or if it's scriptural i don't know it says i will trust you i will extend my hand to you despite the risk of betrayal because it is possible through trust that bring it because it is possible through trust, to bring out the best in you and perhaps in me. And the the post that he, forgive me, but this is just so cool. It had such an impact on me, so I'm going to read it. His, he posted, he, he typed this out in conjunction with that picture. It says, Kierkegaard talks about the idea of being a knight of faith. He puts forward a proposition that I think is akin to the idea that undergirds marriage, which is, I cannot find out whether creation is good or evil without being all in on your bet. Just like you cannot be married without saying, I'm shackling myself to you and I'm not going to run away no matter what. So we better get to know each other and get along because this is how it's going to be. Without that, you cannot be deeply committed enough to the marriage to make it work. So it seems to me that at the forefront of faith, you have you have to act in the word. Sorry, uh, you have to act in the world with courageous trust, not naive trust, but courageous trust in the potential goodness of being to discover whether or not that faith is justified. Romance requires trust, and the deeper trust, the deeper possibility of romance. And that it's partly that's partly why it is faith. You have to put the cart before the horse. So beautiful. He, when you sent that to me, I go, who wrote this? Because they understand our work well. And you said Jordan Peterson went, ding, makes sense to me. It's just so interesting to me, Adrian. That was what I was going to bring to this conversation, that you're thinking about those same lines. And, you know, this is, I was taught it, so backwards to to know the truth and then be faithful in that truth the truth quote unquote right and actually faith is to not 
necessarily know the truth, but to believe you'll get there together and that it will bring the best out of you and the best out of me. Uh, I was just going to say, I mean, what, you know, I moved out here to LA to come be a part of this spiritual community church called Mosaic. And one of the things most compelling about the conversation that was going on in Mosaic at the time was this inseparability between faith and risk. And the guy at the time that was at the helm, uh, he talked about risk all the time. As a litmus to actually, if you have faith, um, like you say you believe these things, well, are you risking? Are you giving? Which is like the point, I think, a lot of that, even that picture, which is, I think the picture was like Jesus and Judas Iscariot, um, you know, one of the most famous betrayers of all time that like even um, Jesus in that story, you know, whether it be real or metaphorical or whatever, the point of the story is that he knew that he would, you know, that he would had the possibility and was massively betrayed, but still stayed committed to Judas, even though Judas could have walked it all the way down the line and fully betrayed him, or he might've changed his mind, who knows, but he didn't. He sold him out and got him arrested and all that. Uh, but he still was willing to take that leap, not knowing what would happen. He knew what he was up to. And I think about this in the faith conversation, even you know, if people are listening, you know, it's like even think about just what needs to get done in work, on team life, and all these like conf- quote-unquote conflict conversations that people avoid. Why do we avoid them? We just don't have faith. Faith that I don't know how the conversation is going to go. I don't know what they're going to make up. I don't know what decisions they're going to make. I don't know how I'm going to look. I don't know how I'm going to perform in it. I don't, there's lots of stuff I don't know. And I'm, you know, faith is just the, I will go start the necessary conversation. That's all we can do is go start the necessary conversation as we see it, at least in the moment that's necessary. And if you're real about it, you don't know how it's going to work. And there are a myriad, like thousands of possibilities of how this thing could go. And so many ways in which to, you know, uh, tilt the conversation, affect the conversation, influence the conversation with all the things from everything about how you're standing and looking and sitting and, you know, and what you say and how you say it. Like there's so many ways in which, you know, I think we get naturally overwhelmed by all the variables and, oh, it's just not worth it. But the pain of um, and the despair and the loss of inaction is always usually much, much worse than the than the pain of doing something poorly at first and then having to correct it over time. But we lack faith in ourselves and courage. I got a couple. Now you've got the prompt. You prompted a a quote me a couple of them. What C.S. Lewis said at the end of all things. When the sun rises here and the twilight turns to blackness down there, the blessed will say, we have never lived anywhere except in heaven, and the lost, we, we are always in hell, and both will speak truly. That is the impact of faith, C.S. Lewis. And he said, he goes on to say, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. 
It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is, it, but it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This but yeah, he's he's remarkable. But when you were guys were talking, I went, oh, this is right out of a C.S. Lewis mind. Right out of the way to glory, man. Well, tell me, I mean, Dan, break that down for me for you as you, what what sticks out to you? What what do you get from that? That faith, faith is knowing that I'm going to make a difference, that I'm not getting out of this alive. I've already chosen I'm here. So now I can either choose life or death for me and those that I'm connected to. And faith takes the will, is the willingness to weigh the difference between the two and act on the one that that I care about the most and that I'm good. Faith is placing my life, risking my life for that, which I'm dedicated to. And that requires first understanding that I'm not getting out alive. It's like, but that takes faith to take that, it, you know, courage is faith. I, I don't know what the outcome is going to be. I don't, and I've got to, it's iterative. I'm constantly shifting. Yeah. And to commit to anything is faith, Right. I mean, to fully commit. I even think about this, you know, as we help some of our clients place really uh, crucial roles on their teams. And finding, you know, we have clients who have some of the top talent in the in the world. And they're also fulfilling roles that need the top talent in the world. And I, I'm, a, I'm fascinated by this experience that I get to have a front row seat to an organization who is the best at what they do in the world, and they are coupled with this talent who is the best in the world. And that talent says, I'm in. I have faith in what you're up to. And the organization says the same thing. Or they're, they start knowing they need that talent because they don't have it, but they go anyway and they believe they'll attract it, right? That's faith too. It's like, you know, when, when for instance, with, with uh, one of our clients who let some of the very talented people they had go because they weren't a fit. It took faith to believe that they would find that talent that would be a fit culturally. And they let them go because they saw that would be better than to stay with what they had and what and that what they had might foul it and they could lose the project, what they were committed to. Interesting. And you think about how Jackson turned the, the bulls around. That took faith. You go ahead and sit Michael Jackson or Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan down on the bench, or get Michael Jordan to be a team player. You're going to have to have conversations. They're going to take some faith. Yeah, I don't. I don't think about faith in this context often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which yeah. is really powerful. Every yeah. every day, an everyday way to look at it, I guess. It's really around, you know, a word I use as often as I can because it's not. It's not. Uh, in our modern uh, vocabulary very much, but it's that word courage. Um, just because it's the best word I can find at what uh, the, uh, the both maybe the most attractive parts of me to a client or a person and the most unattractive parts of me to a client and a person. 
Because if you call someone into courage, you're actually believing in what's possible for them if they decide to go all in. Because that's what courage takes, is like some notion of like, I'm all in, I'm going to put myself at stake. And that's both very attractive and very repelling because we're, we are indicted by our cowardice. You know, if I'm not taking some action and now somebody points out that I'm not taking action, the only reason is that I'm scared. I can't go back from knowing that. I can keep justifying, keep excusing it or whatever, but I know that I'm excusing it if I'm responsible at all with my world and, and, and actually live out of a place of caring that I like give a shit about my life and however many years I've got. If I, if I'm in that, like I do give a shit. And if I, if I speak that out, then I can't not know when I'm just being a coward. Like it's always there for me and I can, you know, so I do know that like, that's why I think our work is spiritual in that way. And, you know, it comes philosophically out of like the art, the study of becoming the phenomenology. Um, even though we're dealing with numbers on a spreadsheet and org charts and, you know, sales reports and strategies and all that, that's fine. But that's just, you know, the pieces on the board. That's not the game of chess. So, you know, we are in this dance with others, at least in our work, we're in this dance with others about what's possible for them, which requires uncomfortability. And faith usually requires, if you're doing it well and you're doing it honestly, requires a lot of uncomfortability, which is the promised land. You know, to be able to stand in, to stand in the uncomfortability and believe in oneself. That's what we all want is that I am fill in the blank. And I like the, I like what comes after that, like the adjectives that come with that I am blank. We want that type of experience, yet the price of admission is to go find out what I'm not. Yeah, the, yeah. the um, faith is the willingness to f- face the giants in the promised land. Like, <laughs> what's between me and having my promise? What things do I think are insurmountable that are calling me to, to, to surmount them? Mm-hmm. Get through them. Yeah, this is um, this is quite a quite an opening for me. I mean, I've never thought of our work as calling people into faith. Yeah, I know, yeah. man. I know. I would have resisted that mm-hmm. if you ever would have said that without the context of this conversation. Yeah. I've been like, hell no. And your funny is you you've acted in some of the biggest faith I know. I mean, you've taken we some did. big risks with us. Huge. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. How would you? Well, at, and you with me. Yeah. Well, yeah, it just seems like, you know, you're a man of faith. I mean, you took some major risks. Well, this is, all right. Well, this is great. Love both of you. <laughs> Love you too, man. Yeah, for those listening, you know, this is our, if you didn't listen to the last episode, so we're experimenting. This is a new format for us. And each bringing something we're thinking about, thinking we're, something we're mulling over or contemplating from our own lives, from our, from our work, from our family life, from our own personal life. And uh, this is his new format. So um, thanks for hanging out with us. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Well, my friends, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. As a heads up, every Friday we post a Cliff Notes version of that week's conversation with all the highlights in under five minutes. Check that out for a quick and powerful reminder of the principles discussed. I hope this conversation has been valuable to you. If it has, the greatest compliment you could pay us is sharing it with somebody who could use it. Thanks so much for listening. And until next week, bye-bye, everybody.